This is the Movie Hall of Fame, class of 1966, for someday in May 2023. <laughs> Whenever we feel like releasing. You'll know it when you get it. Uh, and there is across the table from me, he ain't afraid of Virginia Woolf, it's Adam Hall. Yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Deeply terrified of marriage and all of the pitfalls that come with it. Like, that, that shit was fucked up. <laughs> that was not cool, man. Not cool. <laughs> Don't talk to your wife that way. Uh, it's the class in 1966. We are talking about a year of world cinema that uh, is, is mightily important internationally, not so important American-wise, stateside. <sighs> well, they d- it is important, but they didn't know it was going to be important yet. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was, uh, in my research, actually, like a, a pretty down year for American movies and a banner year for world cinema. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, and yeah, as you said, like, all of those international productions had a profound effect on American movies. Yes. But for the most part, Hayes Code is still happening. You know, it's it's for the most part pretty tame productions with the exception of a couple, one of which is nominated today. One of them as well, though, is part of the reason why the Hayes Code kind of goes away, why the MPAA is formed. The MPAA is actually, yes, the consequence of both Blow Up and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Yeah. That's right. uh, both movies that did not pass the Hayes Code, but we're kind of in this gray area where it's like, well, people should still see these. And are they hard R's? Are they X-rated? Not really. Like, we need some sort of uh, ladder of, <laughs> you know, appropriateness, right? Yeah, sure. That's, sure. that's where the MPAA comes okay. from. So, yeah, uh, we are going to talk about the films, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, The Battle of Algiers, Blow Up, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and Persona. One of them will be inducted into the Movie Hall of Fame before all is said and done. And uh, we're going to have a good time talking about cinema. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm looking at this list now, and this is going to be a tough one, man. It's a very hard decision. Very hard. There are incredible movies on this list. Yeah. <laughs> Hot take. Dare I say. Uh, one of the best lists I think we've ever done. It is astounding. <laughs> um, yeah. Movies, man. Now more than ever, right? <laughs> In the words of Robert Altman. That's right, yes. Um, are we talking about these first, or do we want to cover a certain movie we saw recently? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Movies are now more than ever, aren't they? Sort of, yeah. Yeah, Bo was afraid. The two of us <laughs> saw it. Actually, I third-wheeled with you and your fiancé. She, she would disagree. She would say that she third-wheeled. <laughs> right. We had ourselves a nice meal, and then we headed on over to the cinema, and we watched uh, the new Ari Aster film. It, it, was, it was a nice evening until that. <laughs> we kind of ruined the evening. Yeah. We had a great chat, and then all of a sudden, trauma happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I saw a review of this movie that described it as Albert Brooks Goes to Hell, <laughs> and that's basically my thoughts on it. I kind of agree with that. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Bo is afraid and stars Joaquin Phoenix as the titular Bo. He's a guy that is on a mission to see his mother who he believes is dead. Yep. Right. Basically. Maybe, 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 maybe. I don't know. And he's Jewish and he has a lot of anxiety, particularly surrounding his mother, but also, you know, parts of his anatomy, socializing with women um, crime in the cities he has a lot of anxiety about that. All things that Nico suffers from. That's right. Particularly the parts about his anatomy. Uh, the anatomy certainly a concern. Yeah. Also, I am often tossing and turning, uh, <laughs> worrying about the petty crime rates in Chicago. <laughs> I mean, that just. 
keeps me up. <laughs> um, I was like, what are we going to get Lori Lightfoot out of here? Like, that was... It's always been a big thing of mine, and I'm on medication to treat it. Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, an anxiety movie. Kind of. I, I mean, at first, I guess. Yeah. A lot of people were selling this to me as, like, the ultimate anxiety film, and it goes so far beyond that that I don't think of it that way at all anymore. Yeah. It's just this very, very bizarre odyssey of a man just losing his mind, Um <laughs> you are an Ari Aster uh, apologist is not the right word. Not, no. Fan. How I'm about fan. that? No, You're I, a fan. I, I love his previous two movies. Yeah. I think they're quite great, actually. I think he was one of the more interesting voices in horror. I think that's pretty undeniable. Sure. I think still is. He took a bit of a swing on this one. And in many ways, this is continuing in that trend to a certain degree in certain thematic ways. And visually, there's a lot of times where he's just calling back to himself yeah interestingly enough at times it feels like he's almost trolling the audience yeah this is a movie that is provocative as fuck yes and uh trying to get as much of a rise out of you as it can yet at the same time promises to be this sweeping epic and i mean it, it is yes it is it's a cinematic epic uh on a, on a very intimate level mm-hmm. I, I love that contrast a lot right it's just all colors of the rainbow, and I love that it exists. And some colors that you didn't know exist. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, we're I, discovering new ones. It's a hell of a movie. Yes. It's a hell of a movie that I I like. Yeah. I will personally concede that I do think it might be his weakest film, mm-hmm. but whatever. Yeah. I've, I've never seen anything like this, and I'll never see anything like it again. Yeah. It's a movie that is all genres at once without really being any genre. Like, it's a movie that transcends genre. And it's funny that we're actually pairing it with the movies yes. of 1966. Because so yeah. that is something that you can say about almost every movie on this list. Is that it is a bunch of genres without being anything. They're all kind of genres onto themselves, a lot of these movies. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, and Bo is Afraid is certainly that, right? Like, it is in the vein of, uh, you know, the like uh, After Hours era Scorsese. There's a lot of Albert Brooks in there, particularly with Defending Your Life. It's kind of an on-the-nose comparison. Oh, yeah. And I don't want to spoil what that yes, exactly sir. is, but the parallels there are very obvious. Synecdoche, New York is, is a one movie of the biggest, yeah. that's been tossed around in regards to this one. And I don't fully agree with that, though. Um, I, I don't know. On the, on the more abstract level, sure, I see the parallels and sort of it's how it always has a foot in reality and then also has no idea where it is right. at the same time, which is so interesting. Right. Um, I think its anxieties are kind of different, right? Like its attention is kind of placed like in Cinecity, New York, that is a movie about growing old, whereas this one is much more rooted in the Freudian psychology of this guy <laughs> in a very on the nose way. way, which is yeah. one of the weaker elements of the film. If you ask me, I mean, sometimes though, it is kind of one of those movies where despite the on the nose qualities, the choices are so wacky and interesting that I almost don't care, even though it's grabbing you by the face and screaming at you as to like what it's about. Yes. It's like, well, you know, I remembered that weird night I had with this guy, Bo, <laughs> and I, I, I'm yeah. not going to be able to forget it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to carry that with me, I guess. Uh, yeah. So that's good. It's rare that movies do that. I appreciate it. Mm. 
it, and I do kind of compare it to Synecdoche, New York, in the sense that like it starts out in a place where it's like, I get it. I know where I am. I kind of know the vibe. I know how it's playing with reality. All makes perfect sense. And as the movie goes, that crumbles dramatically the more more and more and more and more. Well, or becomes more complicated. (laughs) I think in the first hour or so, which I think is the strongest part of the movie for what it's worth. This is no, you're right. And I was like, God, if it just keeps this. Sure. This is fucking great. It's awesome. I think that is a section where it's like all of the pieces of the puzzle are there for the audience to solve. Uh, you can get on the wavelength of the movie and understand that this is like a semi-political, sociological <laughs> satire about America's anxiety with inner cities and crime, right? Sure. And you kind of like, I'm like, okay, I get it. This is really like clever, again, on the nose, but like incisive shit, right? And then like the movie, it takes such fucking wild swings where it's like, it spits in the face of your attempts at trying to solve it. Like it is, yeah, I know. It is actively and antagonistic towards your efforts to wrap your arms around it. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, how dare you fucking give me a hug, right? Like yeah. I am here to uh, make an enemy out of you, right? <laughs> Which is such a weird goal, but that's, but that's what Ari that, Aster what, does, though. Sure. And I gotta say, like, I was surprised how much of a piece it felt. With Hereditary and Midsummer, Absolutely. Certainly in its Absolutely. sense of humor. I mean, those other two movies, although they're quite troubling, and I have a hard time watching both of them, <laughs> uh, are very funny at times. Oh, yeah. Certainly. Incredibly funny. Particularly Midsummer. Yeah. Certainly. In a very, like, on-the-nose kind of cartoony way. Mm-hmm. That is here in Bo is Afraid. Um, First hour is hilarious. Just gonna say. It's really funny. Yes. It's kind of like on-the-nose psychological stuff that's in... You know, both of those movies like Mm -hmm. uh, those films are harrowing and like visceral. But like I wouldn't say the psychological unpacking of Tony Collette's character in Hereditary is nuanced. Right. No, none of the movies here are nuanced. Yeah. So the guy operates with a jackhammer and not a chisel. Yeah. Fine. Fine. Right. Fine. A lot of filmmakers do that. Yeah. This is obviously the one that like meant the most to me just because like this is my genre of film. Whatever that is. Whatever this is. Whatever you want to call this. Yeah. uh, Overlong, uh, you know. Yeah. Oedipal exercises about a a guy with anxiety. uh, Bad things happening to a single character for no reason. Mm hmm. Like a serious man or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, a, that's my shit. A filmmaker making a movie just entirely for him. Yes. And basically nobody else. Yeah, like Damien Chazelle did with Babylon. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Jordan Peele has done several times over now, yeah. Yeah. Robert yeah. Eggers did with The Northman, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah. Even The Northman, though, that's a highly more accessible movie than this. Yeah. Than all the films you just listed. Jesus. It's not even close. Yeah. Um, that being said, I don't think it hangs together perfectly. Oh, it doesn't. No. I think it kind of slows down after the theatrical sequence, although you contend that it slows down a- around that point, right? I, I, I was not in, in it. for the th- A lot of people loved that sequence, and I was very out of it by that point. Yes. Because this was about the point where I started to kind of look at the movie with kind of crossed arms, and I was like... You really did have me for some interesting stuff here, not just about like the greater societal ideas, but also just the internal struggles of this character that I don't really relate to this character at all, but I still was sort of compelled by his struggle just to be. It's just compelling cinematic stuff, and it's interesting how he's able to turn those ideas into something so huge and like, wow, yeah, you know, I've never seen that before. And then it 
just starts to feel like the movie is, I don't know, like fighting against itself. The thing I keep coming back to is that like, whatever your intent was, Ari Aster, it does start to feel like the style starts to smother the intent. How about the ideas kind of smother the intent? Sure. Because it's a movie that, like, did you have to put every fucking idea on screen? Like, well, the story, yeah. The, well, part of it is the filmmaking, but I also agree. Yes, also part of it is just the amount of stuff you want to say, and, right? And, and it's like this movie has five endings. Like, it it does like the Peter Jackson. Like, he actually compared worse. it to the Hobbit. It's fucking, and it's way worse. In, here. in interviews, Ari Aster <laughs> was like, "It's like the Hobbit, except it's a Jewish guy going to visit his mom." It's funny. He actually does like the Peter Jackson multiple endings thing. Yeah, it just felt like literally every idea that I have that I've always wanted to put into this movie, and this is kind of an expansion of a short that he made in the early 2000s called Bo, every idea was put in, and nothing was saved for the next picture. And it's like, you're going to get to make another one. It's not like, you know, we need to put every single false ending into this. It's not like we have to include every little side tangent or whatever. I'm glad it exists. Yeah, me too. It's just like, can we hang it together a little bit here? Can we give it a little structure? It it makes me think of like what Hodorowski wanted to do with Dune, where it's just like, oh my God, dude, dude, what the hell is that thing you're trying to make? And why do you want to cram all that into this? Because I agree. It's like, I I mean, I'd love to explore some of these ideas in their own movie, but we get like what are more or less snippets of the idea in a like a set piece here with you having sex for the first time. You could almost make a movie about right. his relationship with that girl. Yeah. And they partially do. Well. And the ending is absolutely one of the best things about the I movie. I love that movie. One you know? of the funniest fucking things I've ever seen it's in my life. It's so funny. It's diabolical. And-, and it is an incredibly <laughs> obvious punchline, too. Yes. And it's like, you know where this is going. The, not even the whole scene. The whole movie, you know where this is going, basically. <laughs> yeah. And it is an absolute killer. It is an absolute killer joke that no one in our theater understood except for us. <laughs> I know like. we were. T- <laughs> there was like what I think maybe one other person like in front of us that was kind of on a similar wavelength that was right. I, th- I think getting it, but that was it. Everyone else is like, "What the fuck are we watching?" They just walked into you know Joaquin Phoenix's next you know his, his next Joker follow yeah, up, that's right? right. <laughs> his, his next Oscar is going to be Bo, and Bo is afraid. Who, by the way, is very good in the movie. He's good, but I, I do think the whole uh, the performance yeah. itself, though, this is the interesting thing, is that I found it to be a very like one note performance. Oddly, it's yeah, no, certainly by design almost. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So it's like I usually say like that could be fine as long as it's a compelling note. And it is a compelling note. Just not for, I don't know, three and a half hours, however long this thing is. Yeah, I go back and forth with Joaquin. There are moments where I'm like, this guy is one of my favorite actors working. Like when I see him oh, in fucking yeah. Her. Oh, my God. Or, yeah. um, you know, Gladiator in the early days. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, sure. I'm like... This guy's the fucking dude. And then, you know, I see him in something like Joker or even in like, come on, come on from a couple years ago. I thought he was good. And And it's like, you know what? He's a good actor. He is technically a very good actor. And I understand why his peers shower him with praise all the time. He's just not fucking for me. There's some flavors that are just not for me. And most Joaquin flavors, like uh, You Were Never Really Here. Is that the name of the movie? I love You Were Never Really Here, yeah. Yeah, the Lynn Ramsey movie. Yeah, that's a great movie. I think it's good. Like, I, I respect everything going on on screen, and it's just not quite my fucking thing. And I felt that way here. It's like, 
he's a very challenging actor sometimes, and he is going to challenge you in this movie. You know, mm-hmm. he is not a particularly sympathetic hero, although bad things happen to him constantly. It's easy to take punches at Joaquin Phoenix, though, constantly. He's, I mean, right. almost every character he's played has always been frustrated, always like kind of compelling, but you don't love the guy yeah. ever. Uh, even when he plays Johnny Cash, it's just like... Right. Yeah, this guy kind of sucks. Yeah, right. I think he's good at that. I I mean, this is, in my opinion, very, very suited for his tool belt. It's just, you know, it could be tough to deal with this for as long as the movie is. Right. It's not an anxiety that I particularly relate to. You know, I do think there's a lot of Jewiness to this movie. I don't know if it's even explicitly stated that his character is Jewish. No, I don't think it is either. But I know Ari Aster is, and I know that is a, you know, that is a part of his origin story, and... Woody Allen films, Albert Brooks films, they are like integral here. Yeah, they're in the source code of this movie. Yeah. Um, so I think like that's maybe that's one of the things. It's just not an experience that I relate to. I do relate to the idea of anxiety, though, and I find movies like this very cathartic. Like I in a way, yeah. I enjoy seeing it depicted on screen, even though like he is, you know, Job suffering for no reason here. Sure. Like, yeah. I do like take a lot of pleasure, <laughs> which is interesting. It, it's weird in getting the internal anxieties and externalizing them on screen. Mm-hmm. Like, I think like that's kind of what movies are. Like, that's why people love horror movies so much. It's like to a degree. I want to find the fear that is nested in every fiber of my being and put it on screen so I can understand it and I can actually play with it. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. And that, you know, I don't really feel that way about horror movies. I don't feel that way about like fucking spiders or whatever. Although there is a spider sequence in this, but I do feel that way about like existential dread. And yes, this movie is very obvious and very on the nose. I don't think that it makes it any less funny, though. I think there's a lot of fucking laugh out loud, oh, perverse are. moments. Yeah. But like, yeah, I, I enjoy working through these emotions with a movie. And that's what this movie does. <laughs> I guess. I just think at a certain point, like, how have you not worked through those emotions? And I don't, th- and I also think the. <laughs> I don't know. Talk to my therapist, man. <laughs> but the other, but my other issue too, like at a certain point, it do- to me doesn't really start to even feel like it's about the emotions anymore. It's just gone in this very like amorphous direction and very indulgent direction. Oh, well it is the most indulgent movie ever made. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Uh, particularly the attic scene, which I'm not going to spoil. Oh yeah. I mean, just see the attic scene. Yeah. Uh, it's a, a little, I, I kept thinking there was a little bit of a reference to starship troopers there. Oh, good call. It's like, what? Yeah. Starship Trooper. That was my first thought. Like, right. A similar kind of beast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And a similar sort of end to a character. I'm like, Oh, yeah, right. What? Starship Troopers? What? Yeah. <laughs> it was like, why is Starship Troopers in this movie? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There, like, yeah. There's a lot of flavors in there that I, I like. It's good. It's, I think oh, it is it's good. very good. I like it a lot. I might love it. I don't know. I, don't, I, I, I got to go back to it and see... I think the Nathan Lane shit with Amy Ryan <laughs> is the weirdest thing. It's incredible. Nathan Lane is incredible. And there's a lot of ways you can interpret like those individual scenes. Like you don't have to take it as literally what's happening. It could make sense in another way. Sure. I, I like the open endedness of certain elements of this movie for sure. It's just at a certain point where it's like, what the hell is this about? <laughs> right. I don't know. I don't know. I mostly like also. Yeah. Like I said, incredibly well-made movie. On the whole, it's just like, okay, this guy can make a fucking movie. This guy can make a movie. Yeah, that's undeniable, especially the first time where he runs across the street. Yeah. That sequence. (laughs) There are tracking shots that are astounding. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, some of the visual imagery. 
Although it doesn't always work. Like I found like that bedtime story sequence where the mom is talking to him and there's the light of his uh what do you even call that? It's like um I don't know. The 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 kid has a as a nightlight oh. that it makes circles and the shape gets projected onto the mother's face as she's explaining to him the trauma that his father has passed on to him, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I've, although I found that like really visually interesting, I'm not sure like the material really kept my interest. No. And there's there are some moments in the movie like that where it's like, God, this is a beautiful shot, but what is it all for? Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, there's tons of that. I think, like I said, I think it's mostly good. Can I recommend it? I recommend it. Just... Impossible to recommend. <laughs> yeah, virtually impossible. Somehow I got my fiance to come with us. She did. I can't believe I did that. And she was very distraught that we were laughing. We were cackling the entire movie. She didn't get it. It's another one of those instances like The Predator where we just, <laughs> what we're seeing is just so ridiculous <laughs> on so many weird levels. Yeah. Yeah, that always seems to happen. She comes with us. She's like, what are you guys laughing at? <laughs> <laughs> Stop laughing. <laughs> Uh, all right, yeah, there you go. There's Bo's Afraid in theaters now. Not for long, though. <laughs> Certainly not for long. Nobody has seen this. It movie. lost so much money. Jesus, I mean, it was never going to make money. I'll tell you what, though, A24 gave it a good shot. Yeah, they advertised the shit out of it. They, there were a lot of commercials for that movie. Yeah, I agree. You know, they they, they did what they could. It's, Coming off of everything everywhere, they they put it in a similar time frame that you know i always say r-rated three-hour-long movies are hard enough as it is right <laughs> but when they're about this yeah <laughs> it's like there's just no chance yeah it's hard to strike gold twice with everything everywhere and the, like it's it's t- like that was such a one in a million unicorn last year like yeah. uh so yeah all right let's move up 1966 as we said, kind of a weak year for American cinema. The best picture nominees I wrote down, Alfie, the Michael Caine film, The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, The Sand Pebbles, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and A Man for All Seasons, which is a period piece, uh, you know, an old uh, royal, uh, you know, chamber drama period piece, wins best picture that year. But there were a lot of really big international films, many of which we did not nominate. And I wrote a bunch from down. Andrei Rublev, the Tarkovsky film, came out that year, which we might do one day when we do our long-anticipated Tarkovsky pod. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Daisies, which is this uh, very influential surrealist Czech film. Masculine Feminine, the the Godard movie, came out that year. The Face of Another, the Japanese horror film. It's a big Japanese uh, thing. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah? Is it a big <laughs> Japanese thing? It's my fucking hard-hitting analysis. <laughs> Thanks, Nico. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Godzilla's a big Japanese thing. <laughs> Literally. Heard of this Pikachu guy? <laughs> Fucking shoots lightning out of his tail. Oh, yeah, this is a big Japanese thing. I know that thing. <laughs> yeah, you heard about this? <laughs> seconds, seconds. The uh, early John Frankenheimer horror movie. Early John Frankenheimer. Have not seen it. Feels like an Adam movie. Feels yeah. like, yeah, something you should have. Should, should check out. Yeah, maybe you should. Maybe, maybe you I... should remedy sometimes. Uh, the Great Tokyo Drifter, the Japanese crime film, came out that year. Uh, Hitchcock made a movie called Torn Curtain, not considered one of his better ones, okay. but it came out that year. Uh, Howard Hawks did El Dorado, another John Wayne Western. Right. This is a movie that I actually I have seen. I saw it in high school. 
And I never put two and two together, but there was an adaptation of Fahrenheit 451. Oh. That I've Truffaut seen. directed. Yeah, I've seen it too. And I guess I never put two and two that Truffaut made it, but I watched it in high school and I remember not being good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now that I know Truffaut made it, maybe I need to revisit it with a new set of eyes. I remember thinking it was like one of the weirder things I'd seen. Just everything fell off to me but that's yeah because it's fucking it's Truffaut yeah it's just not was not at all an eighth graders sensibilities I remember this pretty distinctly yeah and uh, being like that was no no thank you uh but I would love to rewatch it just to to see I remember the production design being very odd I remember him casting the same actress in two different roles but mm-hmm. having read the book it didn't make sense that those two or at least it, in my mind it didn't make sense that she was playing two roles yeah uh, so he kind of takes some big swings with that one. I, I may need to check it out. Yeah, yeah, I think I should too. Ah, yeah. uh, Django, the original uh, Corbucci Django came uh, out that year. Franco Nero. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Woody Allen's first film, What's Up, Tiger Lily, came out in I've, 1966. I've not seen that. I haven't either, and I heard it's not very good. Uh. And believe it or not, both of these things came out, or should I say aired on television in 1966. Not technically movies, but cinematic in their own right. It's The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, <laughs> and How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Oh. Both came out in 1966. What a year. Holy cow. What a holiday season. That's pretty good. Yeah. So it's not a total loss of a year. But this list, talk about a stacked list. This is really something else the good the bad and the ugly the battle of algiers blow up who's afraid of virginia wolf and persona one of them getting inducted into the movie hall of fame Yada yada, good, the bad, and the ugly. But we did just talk about it in, I think, October. You could count on one hand, I think, how many shows ago it was. Yes, honestly, it, we went over. Yeah, we talked about it on the prequel pod. Is there anything that you want to add in terms of like what would your case be for this getting inducted? It, well, I mean, it, this is a problem. This is a problem. Is that we're getting to the point where it's like now it's just about like personal preference to like what we think is just the technical best because a lot of these movies are almost equally influential in their own right. Certainly. I'm not sure The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is more or less influential than Persona or The Battle of Algiers necessarily. Maybe a little more so than Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, but even that movie is incredibly important. Blow Up is also incredibly important. Right. So this is, yeah, I don't know. I know. My only case of this one is that it's like, you know, arguably the best um, Sergio Leone film next to like Once Upon a Time in the West. Mm -hmm. The iconography is probably the strongest here, like the popular iconography, not necessarily influence, because I think that's where these movies kind of stack up fairly evenly. But if we're talking about popularity for what it's worth, then the good, the bad and the ugly is the winner here. Straw poll of 100 college students. Ask them, have you seen a Western number one? And if yes, which one? It's this one, right? Yes. This is the most popular answer. Does that make it the best Western? I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. It is. A rollicking good time. It's, it's of, incredibly entertaining. No, this sucks. It's one of my favorite movies ever. And there are two other movies on this list that are also 
some of my favorite movies ever. Yeah. And they might be better. Um, I don't know. My, my thing with Ugly, it, it didn't so much reinvent the Western as it did kill the Western. I mean, like, Leone and Peckinpah around the same time mm-hmm. uh, with the Wild Bunch and this one took the piss out of the Western, right? They, like... Oh, yeah. You know, this movie asks the question, like, what is all of this gunslinging for? Like, yep. you know, like, how empty is the American dream? How useless is the bag of money hidden in the gravesite? Like, you know what I mean? Like, Because this one's framed with the Civil War. Right. Yeah. Exactly right. It has this incredible tapestry of the Civil War. And it's like, well, you know what? All this did was destroy, right? All this American ambition did was corrupt everyone that came into contact with it. And so, you know, there are basically no good Westerns after The Wild Bunch and The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. Like you have a couple years later, Butch Cassidy, which is a super fun, almost buddy cop movie. It's not really a Western in the traditional John Ford sense. And I don't think any of them are. I think you get to neo-Westerns a little more after this point. Right. Unforgiven. And yeah, I I mean, Westerns like this. Yeah. I mean, this is. This and like the Wild Bunch were kind of the last hurrah of that particular era. As I've said in the past, like what Predator does to action films, Wild Bunch does to westerns, and right. this, same thing here. Sure, because even the Outlaw Josie Wales, which is a movie I really like, right. but even that's great movie. yeah, great movie. But even that is sort of like a stepping stone to Unforgiven. It's very much in the same vein. Yes. Right. It's the angsty, regretful yeah, yeah. cowboy. Yes, right. Exactly. They're not fun. Like Westerns at this point are still kind of like, I kind of want to be Clint Eastwood here. Yes. No, but this is also incredibly like mean, though. Like it's in- oh, yeah. like yeah. we're burning yeah. the house down here. Like everyone yeah. on screen is horrible. Mm-hmm. They are just different, yeah. you know, types of weasels. You yeah. Know? Yeah, absolutely. They are all snakes. It's just how long and, and what color are they? Right. And how sure. much venom do they have? Mm-hmm. Whereas... You know, a movie like Battle of Algiers, that's the beginning of something, you know? Persona is the beginning of something. This is the end of something. Yes, it is. Uh, so I think by, like, definition, although Tarantino is paying homage to Good, the Bad, the Ugly every time he makes a movie, in terms of influence on the culture, it doesn't have the same footprint that some of these other movies do. I would just say not the same. Maybe just... Sure. Maybe, not, yeah, sure. Not the Yeah, yeah. Still, I think you could argue just as significant, just in its own way. Yes. But what I will say is that the influence of something like the Battle of Algiers and Persona is still going on. Yes. We, I mean, we were just talking about Bo, and there are a lot of traces of Persona in Bo is Afraid, my guy. Yep. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So, right. That, that I guess, would be my case against it. It's but, like, I don't know, subjectively speaking... It's a it's, weird thing to say, though. <laughs> I, it's like, a guy, it's, it's got the Maricone theme, it's, yeah, it's got I, Eastwood, it's got Lee Van Cleef, it's got the maybe the greatest ending in all of Westerns. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. The, the incredible three-way Mexican standoff. Mm-hmm. Um, Fuck. <laughs> you know? <laughs> this is tough. It's, it's tough. It's going to be a tough decision, but there's a little sneak preview of what we're going to go through. You know, I love what it does with, you know, the development of these kind of anti-hero characters in, right. in cinema, which yes. is great. I, but this is the thing I'm thinking about. I'm like, God, I don't know if it's my favorite movie on the list. Not mine. I thought it was going to be. And then. Right. I don't think it is. It's weird to say because yeah. it's one of my favorite movies of all time. But yeah, there are two here where I'm like. You just you don't get any better than that. <laughs> yeah. That that's perfect. Yeah. It's perfect.
we're going to talk about a movie called The Battle of Algiers now. It's directed by Gilo Pontecorvo, starring, I apologize if I butcher the name here, but Brahim Hadjaj as Ali Lapont, mm-hmm. who is sort of the de facto lead of a movie with not really a significant protagonist, right? And John Martin as Colonel Mathau, who is the only actor in this cast, the only quote-unquote real actor in this cast. And you can kind of tell this movie kind of has that, like, Shin Godzilla aspect where it starts to feel kind of, I mean, in this case, it's more it's based on a true story, so it's a more traditional docudrama. Yes. And, and one of the best versions of this I've might be the best version I've ever seen. Yeah, but Jean Martin yeah. shows up and he's fucking. You can tell he's. Yeah, like he's Robert Duvall in Apocalypse Now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's got the fucking shades on and it's like, oh, this dude knows how to, <laughs> you know, carry a room. Yeah, you know? I about, this guy knows how to deliver a monologue. Yeah. and Which uh, makes sense for that character too. I think that's fine if you're going to cast a character like that there. Well, yeah, he's the authority yeah. figure. Like. To the extent that, you know, uh, the oppressive regime is the villain, that, yeah, exactly. that you know, order is the villain, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There's not like one antagonist or protagonist. Yeah, yeah. It is the guy that fights war in the sort of like orderly, unfeeling, unflinching way mm-hmm. that uh, sure. is played by the, yeah, the actor that knows how to deliver the line. Exactly. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, this thing was nominated for Best Director, Original Screenplay, and Foreign Language Film, although... In separate years, this is a major anomaly in the Oscars, got a foreign language nomination in 68 because it was released overseas before it came to America. And then when it was released stateside, it got the two nominations in director and screenplay in 1970. Really? Yes. Or maybe 68. Okay. Yes. 1968. Number 45 on the Sight and Sound poll just uh, published in November. Some of the famous luminaries to vote for this movie in their top 10. Yeah. George Miller, mm-hmm. Steve McQueen, mm-hmm. Nicholas Winding Refn, and our boy Abel Ferrara. Yep. So uh, you're in good company, my friend. Yeah, you beat me too. I was like, the people who's, who've listed this as one of their favorites, uh, I was going to mention George Miller. I think this is actually the movie he saw that made him want to be a director. Yeah. And that is the case for a lot of, like, I've heard Spike Lee talk about this movie. I've heard Steven Soderbergh talk about this movie in relationship to traffic. It is one of the most radical pieces of art I have ever fucking seen. This is a hard movie, man. I was really not prepared for this, to be honest. And it's been 60 years after the fact. Yeah. Um, yeah. (laughs) And it is as, like, unflinching and fucking violent mm-hmm. and, and i don't mean like physically violent in terms of blood shown although there is a lot of that like just emotionally violent yeah uh, as a political statement it's amazing that it is as radical today as the day that it came out yeah that's true it still kind of carries over doesn't it yes we, I, there's a lot of dna in this movie that carries over to now Un- yes. uh, unfortunately so because you watch this movie and it will fuck you up yes it's a really really disturbing movie and and again not had nothing to do with violence it's just about the strange and and horrifying desperation of humanity here everyone is kind of gone and it's weird to see just such a like a chaotic apocalyptic state of war here that's unlike anything i've ever seen mm-hmm. i mean it really does feel like you're there i'm the, and i know it's another cliche we throw around a lot with movies but you're really in it with these guys on the streets and those kind of creepy 
claustrophobic maze-like areas where you don't really know where you are. It just feels like a place where everything is bubbling and it's about to explode and then it does explode. Right. And it's just like haphazardly controlled by this terrible police state. And the weirdest thing, I was kind of looking for a protagonist and then when they just get to scenes of just bombings and then the, the rebels gunning down civilians but also just shooting police officers who aren't really doing anything wrong literally planting bombs in diners with children children yeah and they focus on the children too you see dead children get picked up and carried away like a lot of the movie is just us following terrorists essentially right yeah but 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 yeah right there is a catch here they do talk about this very well in the movie in a way that really disarmed me and made me think yeah and hard movie for to accept at times and then also one of the more strangely beautiful things I didn't really see coming. Yeah, my uh my politics are are all over the place. As are mine. As are mine. And they've always been a mess. And they're, you know gonna, what I mean? and they're gonna continue to be a mess. Like it's always <laughs> been like I always need to do some spring cleaning on my ideology and it's never neat. No, nothing ever fits into the right That's okay. container. But I think there was a time where it was more neat. There was a time in my life where it was a little more clear eyed about things. Uh, and, you know, my sort of stance on, you know, colonialism and <laughs> our, you know, interests in the Middle East and, uh, you know, America's uh, role as the world's policeman. Right. Yep. Like that is something that over the years I have grown a lot more nuanced uh, point of view on in a way that I was not nuanced when I was, say, like 16 or 17. But I don't think like nuance is the name of the game at 16 or 17. Like, no, you get into college and then you read like some of these more radical fucking texts and your opinion kind of changes and evolves over time. But, you know, I definitely have some complicated points of view about like. What exactly are we doing in Iraq? Like, yep, me too. You know, yep. what is our interest here? Like, and uh, this movie, I think, although it is very much in the point of view of the rebels, and we should, by the way, establish. Yes, it is. This takes place in the 1950s, uh, only a couple years before this movie comes out. That's uh, right. Yeah, it's pretty similar. Which is wild to think about. Yeah. Like if like an Iraq war movie came, I mean, like oh Zero God. Dark Thirty came out a couple years after the Iraq war, but it's not this. But Algeria was a French colony that declared independence. It was a mostly Muslim state at the tip of Africa, and uh, they've you know fought for their independence in the you know same way that like Ireland did in the uh, later parts of yep, the uh, with the IRA of yes of the twentieth century. Mm-hmm. And it was a, you know one of uh, many uh, proxy wars fought during the Cold War. Yep. And it was not a conflict that I was like particularly uh, well versed in. Didn't know much about it either. Yeah. It is amazing the parallels that you can draw between this and the Iraq War post nine eleven. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is you know I don't think it would come as a surprise to tell you that the director of this film was deeply Marxist communist. Uh, his allegiances are no mystery while watching this yet he just fucking tells it like it is that was the bit yes and it's not this idea of balance like it's not a balanced movie so much like it's not like people describe it as a both sides movie it's a no sides movie no I was gonna say that's you know it does not 
pull any punches. It's very keen about just like telling the story like it is and not sugarcoating a single fucking thing. Yeah. Every detail is just kind of how it is, guys. Deal with it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like this is the violent world that these characters exist in. It's not good or bad. It's not these people went too far or they didn't go far enough. Yeah, it's or, just, it's, that, that's what it is, guys. It, it just is. Because you are mostly in the perspective of the rebels. and the, But then when, you, you know, we're conditioned to watch movies where it's like, yeah, it's going along good. Oh, yeah, I hope you accomplish your mission here. Oh, my God, why are you gunning down 50 people for no re- What the hell are you doing? Right. And it really troubles you. But, you know, you got to imagine that's what, it, <laughs> that's what it is for a lot of these guys, too. Yes. It's just difficult. This movie's really fucking difficult. It's really difficult. difficult. And it's not going to give you any easy answers. No. And it's not going to make you feel good about yourself. No, 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 no. And that is so insanely radical mm-hmm. for a movie to have a point of view, a clear point of view and a clear yeah. argument yeah, yeah, that yeah. it's making without lying to you. Both sides of this conflict. Oh, yeah could see it as a propaganda film for the other side. <laughs> yeah, in a you know, way, that's yeah, kind sure, of the sure, amazing sure. thing about it. But like in that way, it is an anti-propaganda film. How about that? It is the complete opposite of a propaganda film. It is deeply political. Mm-hmm. It is deeply oh incisive. God, yeah. Yep. But it is not lying to you. And that is that is the admirable thing about it. Like yeah. Wherever you stand on it, it is not a story filled with lies. Yeah, that by nature does not <laughs> does not make it a propaganda film whatsoever. It's right. this kind of honesty. This is when I can confidently call a film fucking brave, my guy. Yes. This is a brave movie. And I know we, we cringe at that compliment all the time, but I, I don't know what else you call this. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the best movies I've ever seen in it's my an, life. Amazing. Yeah, and it's unbelievable. I'm glad that I saw it at this time in my life. Yeah, you know, I agree with that too. Because I know? don't know how 19-year-old Nico would have responded to this. I don't... You know, well, it kind of reminded me of a film, a Cuban film called Memories of Underdevelopment, which is very good, but it, like even that one is more like squarely, like kind of languorous and political, and it just takes one very, very specific perspective. And I, like I said, I enjoyed it, but I did get the sense that like I wasn't quite ready for it. I didn't have like the life experience to kind of understand like what these characters were facing. Yeah. Or the world perspective or any of that. So I think if I rewatched that, I'd have a similar reaction. But if I watch this then, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. There's this incredible scene. There are two press conferences juxtaposed. Oh, man, that's great. The first is one of the captured, quote unquote, terrorists, the, the, the member of the rebel group um, that is being asked about their bombing technique, their guerrilla warfare so style. That they're talking about this stuff. Yeah, just <laughs> it's out insane. in the open. And like, this isn't the fucking Golden Lion winner. You know. know what I mean? Like, this is 1966 in the height of the Cold War. And right. Yeah, this is fucking winning at, uh, at Venice. And uh, they're like, yeah, so w- what's up with like, you planting bombs in diners <laughs> why are you giving women handbags and he's like well you know give us your planes with napalm and we'll give you your handbags you know like, it's like all right well i'll trade you and it's like all right i get it okay then we cut to french general yep who's taking questions about the torture techniques which is how this movie opens, by the way. It yeah. opens with a harrowing torture scene, and there are several of them in the movie still oh, yeah. to come. All of which are quite horrifying. <laughs> with some Ennio Morricone score, by the way. Ooh, which underneath. I will say, biggest surprise at first, I was like, I recognize that song yeah. from a little film called Inglorious Bastards. Oh my God. That's when they're coming in the jail cell to get Stieglitz. Yeah. Yep. Holy shit, yeah. Um, (laughs) So they're like, yeah, what's up with this torture? And he's like, listen, 
do you guys think France should keep Algeria or should we not? And the press says that we should keep it. And he addresses all of the concerns, right? Like the movie gives the devil its due. The movie still considers him the devil, but he still gives him his due, right? Like you guys want France to keep Algeria. You can call us Nazis. You can call us fascists. And he addresses the concerns like he's talking (laughs) to the camera, like he addresses them. There's nothing movie about that. You guys are part of this machine. Like, you know, for all of your like, you don't feel good about what we're doing here. It makes you feel like he. But like, this is the type of question that I would have loved to have seen asked in Zero Dark Thirty, for example, Mm -hmm. where it's like, hey, you guys all fucking voted for this war after 9-11. Like you were all there that day. We were fucking waving the American flag with the NYPD and the fire department. Like y'all fucking wore the badges and shit. Like you were there when George Bush threw out the first pitch at the Yankee game. You all fucking played along and now you see how the sausage is made and you don't feel good about it. Mm -hmm. And this movie just doesn't fucking take any prisoners. And it's like, this is the way the world is. This is the way history is. This is the rules of the game, right? We are playing the rules of the game. And it's like, we have decided that this is a cause worth dying for and worth killing for. Yeah. And that's war. Like at the end of the day, it's not That's that true. fucking complicated. No, I know, I know. It's like yeah. if you think this issue is worth dying for, then you're gonna fight for it, and that is a barbaric, evil <laughs> act. But you've decided that it's worth fighting for, and how we do it? Like this idea of war crimes. Yeah, I know. It's kind of odd. It doesn't you know, seem it's to like, make a lot of sense. Yeah, it's like uh, like we're just playing the rules. You know, we're just playing the game by the rules of the game. Yeah, you know. Again, kind of goes back to just deal with it. Just <laughs> we, fucking we, deal with we keep, it. We keep saying this over and over again, but a lot of the movie's ethos is just fucking deal with it, guys. Yeah, yeah. And there, like I said, there is. They do finally come around to this idea that you know the independence was earned they do make the point like no they deserve the independence despite what horrible stuff they did there really was no other way again you're right and i do kind of appreciate that notion that it's really not necessarily taking a side but there was sort of an objective truth here yes at the end of it all right yeah it's also shot in one of the most radical ways you'll ever see like this is uh there's a disclaimer at the beginning of this movie that says there is no news footage, no newsreel footage in the entirety. Not a foot of newsreel has been used in the final cut. And it's this very strange disclaimer. It's like, I've never seen anything like that before. What does that mean? Well, definitely, especially now, from our perspective, we're right. like, what the hell are we in for? Yes. <laughs> especially when we know what news footage can do and show. Right. And so what we see is two hours of what looks like newsreel footage like it is shot in an uncompromising just like handheld boots on the ground you are fucking there yep docudrama again in the purest sense just it's it's as if like penny bigger shot an action movie i guess yeah (laughs) even sloppier (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. sure 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 yeah Yeah. i agree (laughs) even sloppier and uh yeah i mean the gunshots just feel a little more painful and the bombs feel a little more explosive and and a little more felt and even though you you can't get a good look of, of what's going on at any point and the cuts are very uh very jarring and the oh, yeah. score is like very in your face like it's all amplified it's an assault it's an assault yep this movie it's an absolute assault yep but it really does feel like we're watching a city fall apart yes um yeah i just think it's one of the greatest things ever made i concur <laughs> I really do. I think this, I concur. It's been a little while since I've seen a movie that did this for me, but yeah, I, I was extremely floored by this one. 
Written and directed by Michelangelo Antonioni in his British debut, the great Italian filmmaker, which we have not covered yet, right? We have not covered an Antonioni film yet. No, we have not. And weirdly, I was <laughs> when I started the movie, I thought it was going to be all Italian. Right. I was like, oh, all right, another, another subtitles. And then when it wasn't, I was like, what? Oh, wait, this is the most British fucking thing What's, ever made. This is like fucking Austin Powers. Like, what the heck <laughs> it is? Sometimes it is. I was like, what is this music? What Shagalicious, the, Her, baby. Herbie Hancock did the fucking music <laughs> it's here? wild. What? It was very... Uh, I just did not expect it to be what it is. <laughs> the Yardbirds show up, fucking Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck. Oh my God. David Hemming stars along with Vanessa Redgrave, a young Vanessa Redgrave and John Castle, nominated for Best Director Original Screenplay at the Academy Awards, and it won the Palme d'Or that year. No surprise. A fashion photographer unknowingly captures a death on film, <laughs> or does he, after following two lovers in a park? That's not really a description of this movie at all, is it, Adam? No, it's actually, I would say, false fucking advertising. Yeah. If you go into this movie expecting that, you will hate this movie. <laughs> exactly right. What it is, is a weird portrait of the swinging London scene of the 1960s. And shit happens. Sure. That's it. Just This is a movie where just, st- even that, what you just described, is kind of just like... It just kind of happens. Right. (laughs) It is a movie where no one cares about anything happening at any moment, except for a guy that thinks he sees something in a photograph and maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. And uh, then he meets a bunch of mimes and he plays tennis and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. It is a movie about disinterest. Basically. (laughs) It is a movie about ennui. You know, it's, it's about a fucking London that like... At the fucking rock concerts, nobody dances. You know, like that's that is this world. It is a uh, and that is the work of Antonioni. I'm I'm not like a a fan of his. I haven't like seen a ton of his movies. I no, did see La Ventura in film school. I at least saw part of it, and that's another movie where the crime is kind of the red herring. I see, and it kind of goes unresolved because the man is so not interested in plot and he is interested simply in open spaces movement and uh yeah no silence and the void and the emptiness of the soul of man he's just (laughs) he's just interested in just following details yes life is a journey where you just pick up on something and go with it and it's okay to drop something just go with it man that's what this whole thing feels like some people might describe that particular flavor as Boring. <laughs> that was good delivery. <laughs> Who the fuck would call this movie boring? I would not. <laughs> I'm just saying some people would. This is a jazzy, exciting, flavorful, I don't know what's happening movie, and it's well, a hell of a time. We so- talked about how these movies kind of transcend genre. This is another movie with no genre. Like, what yeah. would you even call this movie? You would kind of call it a thriller? Avant-garde, uh... Kind of, it's not. See, I, I, you're always tempted to call it a mystery, but that really doesn't have anything to do with the movie. No, really. like the movie, I guess, is just about a guy looking for something to like focus on. Almost, yes. he's just looking for something, some something to give him purpose or, or meaning to do something good with. It's the only thread I could find, I guess, because it, you get the ending with him helping out the mimes and perform their own version of art, and that seems somewhat fulfilling to him in a way. Yeah, it's about, I think, I think it's about a, a guy that loses touch with reality. Well, that, yeah, that's what I mean when I say it's, right. it's about someone looking for focus. Yes. Yeah. And like he has burrowed so far in. This is a fucking 
uh, a douche. That's the oh. that's the technical term, right? Highly unlikely. Is that the Shakespearean term? Douchebag. He's a douche and tool. Two. Yeah, tool. Yeah. Sure. Uh, asshole. Womanizer. Yeah. Yeah. P- potential rapist. Kinda. Kinda rapey vibes. What was that scene? Can you explain that to me? I mean, th- that's only happened to me a handful of times <laughs> in life, but uh, I never understood it while it was happening. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that it's was- about a tool bag that like. Just like photographs the most beautiful women in all of London. Treats them like shit. Treats them like shit. They love him even more for it. Yep. (laughs) He has burrowed himself so far into this like ego trip. He is dating this woman that is fucking some other guy because like sex to him is purely transactional. Yep. There is no actual love and human attachment in his life. No. He just he digs so far in that there's no world left. Like the the world around him is uh, is empty. It makes no sense. Yeah, he's always doing stuff for him. Yes, it's, he's a, one of the most selfish human beings I've ever seen in a movie. Period. Yeah, which is why the ending is actually so oddly profound for me. I think I guess at that point, by the end of it, where I guess it's a rock bottom moment. Hmm. It's a weird rock bottom moment, but. There's a few movies on this list where the only way I can talk about it is just explaining how I felt while I was watching it. Mm. And this was one of those experiences where it's like, man, I don't exactly know what Antonioni was thinking or what he was going for here. And I have a feeling a lot of him is just like, mm, let's just go over there. Let's just uh, go yeah. over there. And that's maybe fine. It's a very pure art piece in that way. This is a fucking art film. Okay? Yes. And there's a lot of ways you can interpret that. And I as weird as it sounds, I just kind of looked at that ending as this guy like genuinely reaching out for a change. Mm -hmm. And even if he wasn't completely out of the hole, he was kind of moving in the right direction. Finally, it's like out of all this crazy, outrageous lifestyles where the, where there's it's orgies, it's fashion photography, it's death, you know, it's well, where nothing is real. No, 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 no. Nothing is real at all. And by the end of the movie, it's like those tennis rackets and that tennis ball. That's the most real thing he's come into contact with yet. I love where you start to hear the sound of the tennis rackets and it just becomes a real thing. And you you genuinely believe the traveling of the ball hopping in front of him and then him throwing it back at them. Yeah. Yeah. And the physical acting of some of those characters is tremendous. Really fantastic. There is an urban legend. There are several urban legends around this film. And Roger Ebert has sort of peddled a a bunch of them over the years. And, uh, you know, you can find a a number of revisionist uh, history pieces on, on this movie, on the making of this movie. But... There is this long-held theory that Antonioni on set of the film scrapped the central mystery and that there were scenes in there that showed the planning of the murder and showed, you know, the murderers being brought to justice and either because Antonioni felt like taking the movie in a different direction or for budgetary reasons. They just didn't have enough money to shoot those scenes. It becomes this more expressionistic thing. I don't know exactly what the story is, um, but this is the kind of movie that makes sense for the director. Like, Oh, yeah. You can watch the more traditional genre version of this movie. It's called Blowout. Blowout. Yeah. I get them confused a lot. Yeah. They have similar titles. They also have similar premises. Yes, the do. conversation is also kind of a similar thing. A man obsessed with what he believes is a, a damning piece of information caught on, in that case, a tape recorder, in this case, camera. Well, it's another movie where there is plot happening somewhere, kind of. There's a whole other movie really happening somewhere, but we're, for some reason, following an extra. 
Yes. <laughs> the conversation is that. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. what this movie kind of feels like, too. Yeah. <laughs> Blowout is, yeah, like De Palma just puts all the Hitchcockian clothing on it and yep. gives a pretty straightforward narrative. And you got John Lithgow and you got this great chase sequence at the station at the end. And yeah, it's it's lovely, right? Like, yeah, it's also one of, maybe my favorite De Palma film. Super entertaining. Yeah. This is not that at all. Although the premises are very similar. Like this is just the jumping off point. Put this movie on the chalkboard and you've only got, you know, one act of blowout, only one act of the conversation. Yeah. But this to me is just like so much more profound. And it this is way more interesting. This is the version that I prefer. Man, I I do love Blowout a lot. I love the conversation a lot. A lot, yes. A lot. I don't know if I put this lower or higher than them. It's kind of cl- it's very close for me. It's an awesome movie. Again, unlike anything I've seen, it's yeah, I I I don't know. I do think it's a very interesting perspective to take, but I don't really treat it like those movies beyond the premise though. It's not interested in any of the things that those movies are really interested in. Yeah. It's almost just about finding meaning to a degree. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and sometimes how it's a dead end, right? Like oh, finding meaning yeah. in art too. Like for th- there's a reading of this movie where you're like, that's just a shadow in that picture. Like that's not a fucking body. Yeah. Absolutely. That's not a gun. That's just like, you know, a, yeah. that whole idea of like finding meaning in your work, just burrowing, burrowing, burrowing in. And like, then getting basically nowhere no, no but it's it's it, worse than nowhere worse than no, yeah yeah it's delusion right and exactly but it's so, like your work is so fundamental to life though which is why again i go back to this ending i fucking love the ending yeah where he like he he does engage in art in a weird way <laughs> in a way that's not necessarily his i guess well it's collaborative it is collaborative yeah and it's yeah. giving right exactly. it's generous yeah, yeah, right? yeah he's sharing in yeah, it yeah he becomes a, he becomes a part of that art by sharing and, and engaging in something that's a little more real oddly yeah. right whereas up until that point like again like the rock show for example with the yardbirds like he stumbles into this club it's <laughs> such a weird non sequitur <laughs> it's an incredible scene too but like oh, yeah. the yardbirds are performing and there's a couple like literally two people in the back of the room dancing and the rest of the crowd are just standing there it's such a weird image like yeah. and i i think actually it mirrors an earlier scene where he's with Vanessa Redgrave's character and he puts the records on and she starts dancing and he says no slow down just take a drag of the cigarette remember he's and it's all about like suppressing that Mm -hmm. you know the visceral urges that art gives us right yeah it's all about just observing it and then when ultimately when the guitar gets destroyed and the neck (laughs) of the guitar gets passed around the room everyone turns into like these savages on Black Friday yep you know, so it's all about like, what can this art give me like in a tangible way, like materially, what can this give me? Oh, and there's a lot of that with the way that he treats women, particularly in that first uh, sure. you know, t- 20 minutes with the photography sessions with the the photography sex scene, which is just what it is. Yeah, it's a photographer, the classic kind of iconic thing in the movie where he's straddling the woman and taking pictures of her. Right. And it's yeah, it's basically just a sex. Scene. It's a sexy. Yeah. And it does capture how you hear stories, too, about like these weird photographers, these like pervy photographers. Oh, yeah that you know get celebrities and major models and it's this very like sexual thing where they're taking their clothes off like you hear stories about this all the time and it does capture like this yeah this weird like voyeuristic thing that photographers have yeah they have the power to do it that's the thing it's he's using his you know art form to be somewhat exploitative in a horrible way yeah it's interesting to see what how this guy is as an artist at the beginning of the movie versus the way he is at, at the end of the movie right yeah strangely yeah it's 
it's unclear if he is a photographer for any reason other than to sleep with women. It might be the only reason why he is a photographer. Didn't seem to care when his backdrop was destroyed by a couple of naked women. No. <laughs> Which is the weirdest fucking aside I've seen. The, this is the funny thing. The plot is moving forward at this point. Like, he's examining sure. the pictures. He's like, he's calling people like, I think I saw something over here. All of the things and you're th- supposed to see in a movie like this. And then the movie just says, and then a couple horny <laughs> chicks come in and they around and what would you do you know what i mean like i guess well i guess i would stop looking at the pictures exactly right you're gonna go back to your dark room no you're not probably not you're gonna make sure these ladies have a drink in their hand that's what you're gonna do that was such a weird scene yeah but very good so anyway, I married the SOP. I had it all planned out. First, he'd take over the history department. Then when Daddy retired, he'd take over the whole college, you know? That was the way it was supposed to be. Getting angry, baby, huh? That was the way it was supposed to be. All very simple. And Daddy thought it was a good idea, too, for a while. Until he started watching for a couple of years. Getting angry? Until he watched for a couple of years and started thinking that maybe it wasn't such a good idea after all. That maybe... Georgie boy didn't have the stuff. And maybe he didn't have it in him. Stop it, Martha. Like hell I will. You see, George didn't have much push. He wasn't particularly aggressive. In fact, he was sort of a flop. A great, big, fat flop. Stop it, Martha. I hope that was an empty bottle, George. You can't afford to waste good liquor. Not on your salary. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? course directed by mike nichols in his big screen debut what a debut this is based on a play by edward albee of course starring elizabeth taylor richard burton george siegel and sandy dennis the only film in the history of the academy awards to be nominated for every eligible category is that right Every single category it submitted in, it was nominated in. Holy cow. Picture, actor, actress, supporting actor, supporting actress, director, adapted screenplay, cinematography, art direction, costume design, sound, editing, and score. How many did it win? One, five of them. Hmm. Actress, supporting actress, cinematography, art direction, costume design. Richard Burton didn't win. He didn't. That seems strange because he is so good in the movie. Seems a bit strange. Odd. Mm. Paul Schofield won for a man for all seasons. Um, yeah. Seems like a bit of an oversight. <laughs> yep. Uh, you know, it's funny. We just recorded Why Is This a Thing before this, and we got on a big little tangent about like <laughs> algorithmically produced art. And oh, yeah. Strike and Marvel and, you know, all of the apocalyptic dread that you and I <laughs> often peddle in on uh, this yeah, pod. Yeah, that's right. And it's just like, you know, it's like we used to fucking make shit in this country. You know what I mean? Like we used to fucking have a point of view and something to say. And all these movies have that, too, which is great. You know, this was when Mike Nichols, he's coming off a successful comedy career and he's selling out Radio City Music Hall and he's selling comedy albums. And, you know, Edward Albee is is uh, he's he's writing stage plays and it's not just a fucking musical adaptation of The Lion King. It's a fucking play with like something to say about marriage domestic life in the 1960s Nichols is like you know I'm not just gonna fucking make a standard theatrical adaptation with a three camera setup I'm gonna fucking make a movie I'm gonna cast Elizabeth Taylor who's like fucking Cleopatra yep she's only 33 in this movie by the way she's like incredibly young she's in her prime still wow 
and she fucking makes a choice. And it's just like, this is when we fucking made choices. You know what I mean? Like, this is an era where we made movies and we weren't afraid to scare anyone and we weren't afraid to offend anyone and we just went for it. It's the 60s. You know, and I have been so depressed (laughs) the last couple of weeks, you know, between the fucking the Russo brothers being like, we're going to make an AI movie soon. And the Writers Guild being like, they won't meet any of our demands. They want to keep the door open for AI. And like, you know, turns out this streaming thing isn't profitable unless we make 10 fucking Ryan Reynolds movies a year. And it's like, God, we used to make shit in this country. You know, and this is just a movie with teeth. It's a movie with fucking teeth and it's a movie that goes for it, man. And it looks like Hollywood movies and it is Hollywood movies, but it was it was made by people that gave a shit. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. God, we used to give a shit, Adam. it, It has the dressing of everything Hollywood, particularly with the casting. One of the most interesting things about the movie. Yeah. But Jesus Christ, to think of a Hollywood movie like this coming out today is almost unfathomable. Yeah. This is not a movie, you do it again today, it's like a Hulu remake or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the most unfortunate thing to think about, but it's, yeah, I just, I don't know. At this time, more people were, I guess, pissed off, but I feel like we're pissed off now, right? Are people mad? I think it's different. Why? I think it's different. I think <laughs> our rage market, is channeled in different ways. Market forces are preventing us from being too pissed off? I think... Is uh, that what it is? I think the answer to our angst has been to give us more of what we want. And we have been fed this lie yeah. by major corporations that everything you want, all the serotonin hits that Captain America can provide for you, yeah. will be the answer to your problems. <laughs> go to the theater and escape. You know, you the lights begin a- to dim and we go somewhere we've never been before. You can have a blending of that. Even That's a bad even- Nicole Kidman impression. <laughs> we've been somewhere we've never been before. There we go. That's hey. pretty good. They were doing that in the 60s as well, but at least there was more. At least there was a blend. There was a balance. Yeah. At least the door was open for stuff like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Yeah. But this movie made like a lot of money. No made shit, a lot, of made money. a lot of money. Look at that performance. How does this movie not make the most money in the world with that Elizabeth Taylor performance? This is like the best performance I've ever seen. Man, woman, child, whatever. <laughs> Dog. I don't care. Everything. This is the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and she's in the peak of her powers. And it's like now she would be Captain Marvel. I know. Now she would be Black Widow. That's what Elizabeth Taylor would be doing now. You know, think about that. And it's like we have been fed this lie where it's like everything you want, we will give it to you. Movies are for escape. Movies are for comfort. Movies are to not challenge you. And it's like even Mike Nichols, who is a great, he has made some of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, yeah. Even by the end of his career, he's like, all right, I'll do a fucking Sorkin script. Like, I'll just fucking, you know. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? And it's like, what happened to that guy? I don't know. Mike Nichols used to be something. I don't know. Like, and The Graduate is great. It is his best movie. It's one of my favorite movies ever. And like, you know, but like, I don't think he ever reached the heights of just like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I am going to tear America straight in half. I'm going to tear America's sweetheart 
Yes. <laughs> that That's my opening. Yes. <laughs> the casting is so fucking knowing. Yes. It's one of the most... The stroke kn- of genius. Yeah. One of the most knowing bits of casting I've ever seen, and it's absolutely brilliant and incredible for it. And for these actors to commit to this role... I mean, what trust? Yeah. Could you imagine? Like, in my opinion, there's not that many actors that would be okay doing this. Yes. But you have to really tear out your loved one's soul to make this actually work and make it any way believable. And it's just one of the most fucked up things I've ever seen in my life. It's crazy. It's such a... Like, we were talking about Boa's Afraid before. Like oh, a, forget A it. penis monster forget in an it. attic. Yeah, exa- oh, yeah, the penis monster. Got nothing. Got nothing. You got nothing on this. I ate him. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> what is it? Bang the bartender, right? <laughs> That's yeah. Dude, the bar scene is so weird and complicated, and there's like a thousand things happening at once between these characters. Yeah, it is uh, a horror movie yeah. in many ways. Like there, like that scene where he's walking up to the house, and uh, and Sandy Dennis is in the back of the car, mm-hmm. and George Siegel and Elizabeth Taylor have just had sex. And like she's like kind of moaning and the way that it's lit and the way that it's shot from like that uh, aerial point of view. Yeah. Like this is a horror movie. You know what? Yeah. Like, you know, this is a movie. This is a haunted house that these characters are entering right now. Well, it's giving me psycho vibes in a, in a sense, at least with that. Particular oh, yeah. Shot. Yeah. Yeah. The silhouette. I mean, this movie is just like it is a journey into the dark depths of the human soul. Everything that you can say to a loved one is said to a loved one in this movie. And what's even scarier is that they're not going anywhere. They're staying together. That's, right. that's the craziest thing yeah. about it. Yeah. Despite, despite the amount of viscera spilled out by these people, they are made for each other. That's such a terrifying idea, yeah. but they really kind of are. I I don't want to talk too much about Succession because I know you haven't caught up, but the l- latest episode of Succession has been compared to this film. Um, oh, with Tom and... With Tom and Shiv. Shiv. Okay. I will, I will just say broadly, they host a party. And they keep some stuff at bay during this party. And at the end of the party, things boil over. And the rule book is thrown out the window. And everything goes. Anything and everything goes. And, uh, you know, it's brutal. It's devastating, much like this movie is. Yeah. But, like, I know Jesse Armstrong. And I think those two crazy kids are going to end up okay at the end of the day you know what i mean and that is kind of the thing with edward albee here it's like yeah this is why it works that's why they're together Uh that's how they've survived this long Oh, nobody else would be able to do it congrats newlyweds like (laughs) this is what it takes to survive for 30 years you know on a college campus well just yeah god that idea that like could you imagine these people being with anybody else if she was with george siegel it's like no they're over and done with in a week it doesn't work right it's just so painful for them to realize that you know so it doesn't matter how shitty they are to each other there's really no getting better but it's honest in that way. Like, that's the... Ugh, God. Yeah. Terrifying. But I've known people. I got people in my life. Oh, yeah. I got, I got a very, very, very close member of my family yeah. who is in something kind of similar to this. Yeah. But you also are forced to reflect, like... Yeah, Jesus, who the fuck else are they going to end up with? Yeah, right. Like, you get it. <laughs> yeah. It's like you want them to yeah. leave so bad. Yeah, 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 yeah also exactly. Like, oh, right, yeah. <laughs> and also, like, the the culture around drinking, too. Oh, yeah. Like, 
we all have that one couple in our lives, right? That you go to a dinner party and it's like the, the wine gets flowing and all of a sudden some things slip, you know? So some of the bedroom drama comes to the fore and, you know, everybody's a little loose. And this movie gets there within the first five minutes. Like everyone is hammered in the first five minutes yeah, of this exactly. movie. <laughs> and you experience, yes, a bad night of drinking. And that's what it's like. <laughs> Which at first is kind of funny. You're like, oh, these cra- this is a shitty couple. Wow. Well, let's right. see. Let's see what kind of terrible stuff they can throw at each other. And then the movie continues. And then you start imagining that they've been doing this to each other for years right. and years and years. And then when they reveal the lengths at which they've gone to um, keep the spark alive, let's say. Yeah. It's a really scathing uh, view of marriage, though. It's really a, it's not a date movie. <laughs> it's not, it's not it's not gonna play well with the, with the girl. Okay, she's she's gonna be like, you know what? What's the point? Let's shake hands and go. <laughs> Did you watch Marriage Story with Abby? Oh, I don't know. I may, maybe I did. Yeah, that particular scene. Mm. In Marriage Story is kind of what this entire movie is. Yeah, basically. I've heard Noah Baumbach talk about that movie, and he describes it as a love story, right? It is a love story, sure. And it is. Yeah, absolutely. And that scene is a scene of love, you know? And that's how I feel about this one. It has got one of the most tender endings I've ever seen. Yeah. And you buy it. That's the weird thing. It's like you go from like 100 to zero, and it completely makes sense to me. So, like, I wouldn't say that this is a date movie it is anything but a date movie but but that doesn't (laughs) mean that it's not romantic you know what i mean in a way i think i think there is kind of a a difference there right like there is something about two people being honest and the cards on the table you know something about that yeah yeah something about that struggle is very personal because i think there is something aspirational about that i think there is like you know from the point of view of someone that has had like relationship problems or whatever in the in the audience like I can see that as kind of like, oh, God, I wish I would have the courage to say that. Like, I wish I could say that to my spouse with the knowledge that everything will be okay. You know, it's something attractive on both ends because you feel free, like in the guys end of things, it's it's a sense of like really profound freedom that you can just let your guard down. And like, it's an amazing feeling to do that. And from the women's perspective, it's it, they, they think you're being very vulnerable, which you are. Yeah. Um, it's so fucking American. You know? Oh yeah. It's an American ass movie and it's and it's a pretty wretched movie and it is a movie yeah. about, you know, people throwing grenades via dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh but it's also like yeah, as fucking American as apple pie. And it's like god damn it, what a country we used to have, you know? <laughs> I don't want every household to be like this, okay? No, I just no, mean no, like it's, artistically speaking. Artistically, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. To have that freedom of expression in this way is quite outstanding. It's a pretty f- amazing movie. Yeah. It it really is. Uh, what a debut for Nichols yeah. um, just to show up and be like, turns out you can make a movie about this shit. <laughs> yep. and I just did it on my first go round. Fuck you. Yep. Yeah. Persona. 
I'm sorry, that's pronounced persona. Persona? That was a little Spanish, Nico. That's not what this is. Persona. Like that little roll of the R's over there. Not bad. Not bad. My Venezuelan side's coming out. They're they're not Spanish. (laughs) It's not. Sorry, it's not the Spanish word for person. It's the psychological phenomenon. Yes. (laughs) Written and directed by Ingmar Bergman, starring B.B. Anderson and Liv Ullman. A nurse is put in charge of a mute actress and finds that her personae, pluralized, are melding together. This was voted, by the way, the number 18 movie of all time on the Sight and Sound list just recently. No less than Paul Schrader, Robert Eggers, Alejandro Iñárritu, and the aforementioned Ari Aster declared it. Really? In their top 10. Makes a lot of sense. A nurse is put in charge of a mute actress and finds that her... Oh, I just said that. No need to repeat myself. You got it. That was your other half speaking. (laughs) Right. The movie repeats dialogue, doesn't it? I know it's an audio (laughs) medium, but just imagine the (laughs) point of view shot switching across the table. Yep. Now you have me in close up. Yeah, Bergman, Bergman, Bergman. What did you think, first of all? Because I've seen this movie before. And I am of the opinion it could be the best movie ever made. But right, right. <laughs> what did you think of so it? So Bergman, so yeah. you've poked fun at me before with, with Bergman. You've kind of you've taken the old Bergman prod out of the <laughs> fireplace, started poking me with it. Bergman, <laughs> watch it. Right. Just randomly, you'll come up to me on the street and just <laughs> just run up to me. Sneak attack, sneak Bergman, surprise Bergman. I'm ringing your on your doorbell at seven o'clock in the morning, (laughs) dropping Criterion's off. Have you watched them yet? (laughs) So you know, I'm I'm you know, Um, Bergman. Here's what I'll say: there is a quality to his movies, and it's not like I have watched fucking all of them. I don't have the box set or whatever. Like you know, I've seen Seventh Seal and Virgin Spring, and that's it. There's a quality that is just like just so to his movies. There's a just so ness, right? Like everything's in its right place and everything is building to a very precise thing. And it's all very neat and precise and clean, right? Sure. Although it's dealing with sometimes some like out there subject matter and he's really taking chances and experimenting. Like it's going to sound like a weird comparison, but it's kind of how I feel about Guillermo del Toro movies sometimes and it, it, they're very different filmmakers radically different filmmakers different. but it's this quality of like everything is like just so polished and so in its neat little box and like i'm just supposed to open the box and enjoy it and close the box and that's how i've always felt about bergman movies yeah uh and you know there's a good chunk of this movie where i felt that to be honest with you, you know? okay that being said um wow <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness yeah goodness gracious i mean here's the thing too like it's always like a slap in the face when you know you love Maholland drive so much and it's like oh mm. wait there it is okay oh, i love don't look up don't or don't look don't look up don't look now yeah i love don't look now like uh, oh oh wait oh uh, yeah Oh, Fight Club. Even Fight Club, for God's sakes. Fight Club references this yeah, movie. Oh, yeah. On the nose. Yeah. <laughs> the like, very beginning. Yeah. All these movies that you think you love and you're smart for loving, and it's like, oh. Well, all those movies mentioned are still great. No, but like Mulholland Drive finishes higher on the sight and sound pole than Persona, and it's like by definition, like there should be a rule banning that. 
Yes, I agree. Because Lynch just takes the ideas in this movie and in a weird way makes it more literal. Like actually literalizes. Yeah. Which is that's so fucking odd. Isn't that a weird thing to say about a Lynch movie? Oh, it's not even like this is dramatically more challenging. Yeah. Yeah. So like so much of my worldview, my cinematic worldview, at least, was challenged watching this because like all these things I love came from this and I was skeptical and I, you know, I raised my nose at this. I'm like, oh, no, I'm I'm a fucking American bad boy, man. Like I'm fucking like Bergman. What a slog that fucking Swede. And yeah, I mean, if you want to call this the greatest movie ever made, then I will not argue with you. You will not find an enemy in me. This is as relevant and current and new and fresh and transgressive as the day that it came out. And you watch it now and it's like everything holds up. Yep. The cinematography is as gorgeous now as it ever was. The use of lighting is as masterful now as fucking the best work Roger Deakins has ever done. Perspective. So there's a lot. Perspective in here is so unquantifiably genius. Yes. And I've never seen anything come even close to being as interesting as this, like with the way it challenges the audience with that sense of perspective and who you are focusing on and what it means to focus on a face, who you as the audience are supposed to be sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes how the movie feels like it's turning it back on you. There's a gajillion fucking readings on this movie, and I don't think there's a lot that I would throw out, honestly. yeah. It's amazing that it can hold that many readings, too. Like, yeah, we also were just talking about this on Why Is This a Thing, but the idea of, like, uh, you know, Reddit culture and theorizing and... How, you know, fans tend to seize upon the what and not the how and not the why, right? And, you know, most theories about, like, what exactly is happening and what is real and what is fake and what does this symbol mean and, like, you know, all of that stuff over time, it fades. Like, it loses power over time by definition because there are only so many solutions, right? And uh, this movie is just like the further you search, the more there is to question, the more mystery there is, the more readings, the the more possibilities. But 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 mm. I do also think this is a case in point example of a movie where a lot of those theories, a lot of like that thought you might have on it, like the intellectual things you might attribute to this movie, they might not just be as significant as just feeling the movie yeah and then this is something that Bergman has stated he's like you know I mean I have my own thoughts on what it means but I don't want to tell you any of that because maybe I, exactly what's happening is exactly what's happening maybe yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Pre- precisely that's a possible reading too yeah right? it's really more about just how it makes you feel and make your judgments on the film based on that yeah <laughs> and at a certain point with the overwhelming number of readings there are on this movie it's like maybe that's all it does come down to if it's going to come down to anything yeah yeah Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's a movie about two chicks at a cabin. You know? Maybe that's just what it is. Maybe it's about Bergman talking to his mom. Maybe it's about Maybe. Bergman talking to his kid. Maybe. Maybe it's about abortion. Maybe it's, yeah. uh, you know, maybe these two people are the same person. Maybe. Yeah, that's, that's, Maybe one person is the other. That is such an obvious reading that I so don't care about. That That's like my least, yeah. the one I'm, I'm interested in the least. Yeah, sure. well, that was the whole thing with Mahalan Drive. That yeah, was yeah, yeah, like sure. one of the big, yeah. I just look at this movie and I just rewatched it too. And because it's a movie that 
heavily rewards rewatches too. Yeah. Like I got a lot out of it on first viewing, but it just doesn't stop. Second viewing, I'm like, Jesus Christ, I feel like I missed everything. Right. That's how much is there. Yeah. <laughs> the notion of taking advantage of your peers just by being around them is an idea that I love so much because mm. I deal with that with people a lot. Right. And But then I also sometimes worry that I do that as well yeah these parasites in your life yeah. that kind of yeah the social you know, vampirism which is literalized liter- in one that, particular scene yeah in the yeah. blood sucking scene which is incredible and there's also that vampire imagery in the opening montage which is like that's a whole other podcast if you want to just talk about the five minutes of dude the opening of this movie dude there's an erect penis that shows up that like <laughs> scared me <laughs> This is... Oh my goodness. Like that dick showed up and I'm like, dude, I'm terrified. Like, no, literally I, I had a jump scare at the dick. I know. I and it's like in three frames and yep. it's like, what? and you know, in some ways it is like the most pretentious thing ever. That's the amazing thing. Roger Ebert wrote about this in his review. It's like this manages to somehow be unpretentious despite being the most pretentious art house film ever made. Like maybe the whole idea of like the facade of cinema being broken down and Bergman is actually shown on screen in the movie and it is immediately aware to you that you are watching sort of a meta film about the making of the film. The celluloid actually burns up. Mm-hmm. You know, you you actually hear the projector and yep, yep. you look at the history of silent film leading up yeah. to this. <laughs> it pulls a Babylon. It's Babylon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Babylon. Babylon took from this, from this thing. <laughs> and in some ways, like in, in Babylon, I'm sure like, you know, we all sat in the theater and we're like, this is kind of fucking awesome in one hand and also it's the most pretentious thing ever. Yep. And it pulls it off because because like it's got the juice you know what i mean like it's got the subtext like mm-hmm. there's the there there you know it's one of those movies where you see it and immediately you kind of trust it too because i have seen movies where it's like it's clearly going for something a little bit deeper and i'm just watching it there's something about the voice and there's something about the guy helming it and the the execution of things that i can't quite put my finger on but i just don't trust this director Yes, I know you're going for something, but do you really know what you're talking about? Paul Schrader did a Criterion interview about it, and he described it as, you know, a movie about women, undeniably about women, but also undeniably told from a male point of view. Sure. You know, and there's that kind of dissonance, right? Like, you are keenly aware that you are an outsider in this story, Mm -hmm. right? You are viewing it from a voyeuristic outsider lens, and Bergman is very obvious with that with, also the, with the meta elements right? very about the audience extremely yes. about the audience right because you're doing a lot of what the characters are doing in this movie right yeah so like you are not to trust anything you see right like no. you are being lied to you are seeing it through a lens that is not your own or not even the lens of the characters there is this third force that yeah. is fucking with the reality of this thing and it's amazing because the movie tells you this on multiple occasions that that's what it's doing but you still question it sometimes right which is the weird phenomenon right as we said it's like it's a film that transcends genre it really doesn't have a genre like it's a thriller it's kind of a horror movie it has the imagery and iconography of one but isn't really uh is it a fantasy i don't know maybe maybe not is it a romance kind of way sure sure it's very physical like there's that one scene where bb anderson goes up to Liv ullman while she's sleeping and starts like massaging her face and shit and just like touching her and getting like it is such a too close for comfort movie absolutely you know it is there's so much close-up 
it goes from being really, really beautiful then to like deeply horrific in a weird way and un- unsettling. It's like at first I'm like, there's something intoxicating about this relationship that's forming. And then it, the deeper it goes, like the characters, the more scared they become and the more scared I become watching it too. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful looking movie, but it's not a pretty experience. Definitely not. But what also amazes me, there are so many shots in this, obviously the shots of the overlapping faces yep. in the mirror, the shot of their heads crossing to form like an X in front of the window mm-hmm. that you see on the posters and the, you know, the DVD editions of the movie. Oh yeah. It's all in close up, and there is so much variety to it. And like how many times on the show do we talk about a movie relying too heavily on close up and it all looking so fucking samey samey. Oh yeah. It was something I criticize constantly. I'm not, I'm generally not a huge fan of it unless you're Bergman. Right. Who, or Hitchcock or, or Hitchcock. Yeah. yeah, yeah right. sure, sure, like sure. that know how to compose a shot, you know, that, and actually say something in the close up. That matters. You're, com- you're communicating something different here. No one shoots a face like Bergman. Yeah. Right. Demi comes pretty close, but no Bergman. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. Um, it's hard to talk about just because like more has been written about this movie than any movie maybe ever. Like there is so much in my research for this. Like I was you're reading so many like contemporary reviews and retrospectives. Yeah, and, it's like, daunting. Man. It's a lot. There's just so much. And like, God, we used to make shit in this country. I'll call it a perfect movie. Or in that country. I have seen a few other Bergman films. Uh, I have liked every single movie I've seen by him. Uh, but this is my favorite. And I feel like it's hard to top. Uh, y- yeah. It's amazing, too. He made this so late in life. Yeah. He was kind of at a nadir mm-hmm. career-wise. Um, he was kind of like working in color, and he had made a number of critical bombs. And I think like he was in... Was he in like a romantic relationship with Anderson, but he was kind of like very flirty with Ullman at the time. And like, yeah, it was this weird relationship, love triangle thing. And they end up making this incredible movie kind of, you know, at this point in his career where everybody thought he was kind of done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's an absolute, it's an absolute fucking masterpiece. Yes, it thing. is. By oh. the way, that B.B. Anderson is quite fine. Quite fine. Quite fine. Quite fetching. Liv Ullman, too. Quite oh, fetching. yeah. Quite fetching. B.B. Anderson, incredible in this movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. Another just incredible performance. That story about the orgy on the beach? Yep. So vulgar. <laughs> like It's one of those moments. I did- she tells the fucking aristocrats joke in the middle of this movie. That's like, she, what the hell am I watching? She kind of does. It's like some of the details she gives. Again, you're not prepared for it. Like, I wouldn't be prepared for it with a movie of today, let alone a movie in 1966. <laughs> right. That's a great monologue. She fought for that monologue, too. She rewrote parts of that. Did interesting. You know that? No, I yeah. didn't. Yeah, she's like, we need to go here. Yeah. So so they do. Yeah, that's interesting to me, because, again, like, I, I think of Bergman. My impression of Bergman has always been that he's, like, this control freak, and I know, like, he certainly is, but this is kind of a movie that was born out of the three of them collaborating, yes, you know? Yeah. So, um, so I'm sorry for waiting so long to watch it. It's okay. But here we are now. The Silence, by the way, which I just saw with Jabril, uh-huh. fantastic movie. Okay. It's one that I also had to sit with for a while. Not as good as this, but um, a really excellent, excellent, excellent movie. So you guys are going on like a bunch of mandates now. We are. That I have been invited to, but in a kind of like offhanded, eh, we weren't thinking of you initially. <laughs> kind of pity invite. I've gotten a couple pity invites. And frankly, I don't appreciate it, and I don't re- I don't <laughs> negotiate with terrorists, and I don't respond to pity invites. It's just 
So you guys have found like this secret fucking what? Like this broom closet where they show old Criterion movies? Like Basically. Yeah. Basically. And you like go every week now and you have like a great time. Not every week, but the two times we have gone, yes, we have had a wonderful time. I'll make my way out there one of these days, assuming that I get invited in a proper way. In a in a proper and cordial way. Would you like an invite, Nico? I, I do you I, feel bad that you're not getting any invites? I gave you my terms. No, yeah. I've d I just it's the it's the how, not the what, you know? <laughs> Do you need to be liked, Nico? Do you need to be liked by everybody? It's not so much liked, it's needed. <laughs> That'd be the word I would use. I want you to want me. <laughs> That's right. Uh, what would you like to do here? Uh, I have gauged, given the level of enthusiasm, you've talked about these movies today, that you are between Battle of Algiers and Persona. Is I, that accurate? I am. Okay. I am. I am fine with either one. Ah, I'm good. I love Blow Up. I love Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. I love The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I love them too. You know what? I'll let you make the call. How about that? I think they're both incredibly important and iconic and groundbreaking, and you don't have cinema in, in its current form without either of them. If I had to shoot one to outer space, I don't know which one I would shoot. It was worse than a Sophie's Choice yeah. It's bad. Battle of Algiers is one of the best things I've ever seen. Yeah. But so is Persona. <laughs> but you did tease when we were just talking about Persona about my insistence on getting you to watch more Bergman. Right. Which means there is a, another chance for Persona to get in. And Gilo Pantacorvo, I don't imagine we'll be covering his entire filmography. Almost certainly not. Yes. Good as reasoning as any for me. I might have to go for today with the Battle of Algiers. Very well. Yep. There it is. It's got a, yeah. I like it. I, I think I, I like it too. Uh, that will do it. I watched some movies because I was ill this past week. That's why this podcast is coming to you late. <sighs> yes, you did watch some movies. You know, my my life does not stop and start at your convenience, dear listeners. I, got, I was ill. I did not have, uh, I did not have uh, time to pod. I actually had time, plenty of time. I just was not filling up to it. But I did watch a bunch of contemporary films <laughs> okay. that I would like to report back on very quickly and then we'll be done. Okay. I watched a very lovely rom-com called Rye Lane. Okay. Rye Lane. It is a British film. It is streaming on Hulu. It is like a before sunrise, but in a contemporary UK. It was very 90s. It reminded me of like early Danny Boyle movies. It made me very nostalgic for like that period of time. It's very frenetic. Uh, the editing style and the framing is super interesting. And it's got a real cool central romance. And it's just a delightful date movie. If you have a free Friday. R-Y-E Lane. All right. Check it out. Cool. Cool. Early Danny Boyle vibes. Really cool. Sweet. I watched Creed 3. Ah. Have you seen this movie yet? No. I was underwhelmed. Mm, yeah, that's what the consensus is. I was underwhelmed. I heard people talking very glowingly about it. Yeah. I did not feel as strongly. Okay. I don't think it's bad, but I was underwhelmed. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. The anime shit in the boxing sequences was kind of cool. Anime. What, just the way it's filmed or special effects? Or? Uh, he does some shit that looks like Naruto. Like he does some fucking like the punches when the punches land on like the sides of characters bodies like he does like that slow-mo fucking surreal 
anime thing. What? Where like you know like the it, it it looks like he actually said like it's like a Naruto Dragon Ball Z kind of vibe I was going for in the boxing sequences. It is unlike any Rocky movie I have seen so far. I'll put it that way. Uh the metal shit I just don't think it was that strong. I okay, fine. I watched uh, Scream Six. Oh, Scream Six. Yep. I would say my least favorite Scream movie. Wow, okay. That's what I would say. I'm getting there with it, to be honest. Diminishing returns, these movies. I still think it's fun. I think it's good. It's... But but the, you think about it for a minute, and it's like, that's fucking dumb. The twist was and... both very easy to telegraph and also didn't make any sense. Yep. Not a good combo. I thought the exact same thing. I knew who it was. The sec- the, yes. The, the, well, there. yeah. I didn't necessarily know every player involved but i well, the main to, guy i knew it, it was him obviously well, well, it was just, obviously him two things when you say the line who gives a fuck about movies that tips me off yeah, to one idea right, and, right, right. and then when he's you get ghostface holding a gun it's like who else could it be also did they shoot this in new york did they shoot it on location didn't feel like it felt like this was shot on a sound stage or something I don't actually know that because they do not take advantage of the New York of it at all. If they did shoot it on location, I, I like the subway scene as far as taking advantage of the New York and the the, the bridge between the apartments is a really good set piece, actually. Yes. Um, no, the movie has its has its moments. I don't like I said. I don't think it's bad, and I think I think it's good. Nah. Yeah, yeah. Eh. I, I was I was closer to yeah. Yeah, that's and that's yeah, I get that it. My, uh, yeah. that, that that's fine. Um, Didn't like the fucking dialogue. Don't like a lot of these no. performances. The I, dialogue is really fucking no, bad. I, I, it's really and I, it's funny because like it's. It's like the they, they clearly rushed this into production, so like they didn't have as much time to write this script as the last one. But it's the same team. Yeah, I know. How many how many times people get stabbed in this movie? I was I. <laughs> oh, you were dead on about that. I, I'm serious. Like I know like people get stabbed a lot in screen movies. I get it, but. This goes beyond pushing it, guys. Like, yeah. way jumped the shark on that detail. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck is going on? And then they on? bring back Hayden Penetier and they barely do anything they with do her. They do nothing with her. so yeah, annoying because she was like the, one of the best supporting characters in the whole franchise. Oh, and I fucking love her in Scream 4. She's so good in that. And I, they just blow it and it's upsetting. I completely agree. And again, these characters, I keep saying, I don't... Paper thin. I don't give a fuck about the lead characters. I uh, finally saw a movie called Dungeons and Dragons, colon, <laughs> Honor Among Thieves. I have been wanting to see this too. From the minds that brought you Game Night, one of our favorite comedies of the last 20 years. The movie we have bonded over. <laughs> oh my God, one of the best. How is it profitable for Frito-Lay? Hey Nico, I heard you guys were having a game night. <laughs> oh no, he died. <laughs> I enjoy the company of pleasant strangers and board games. <laughs> Love me some game night. I really dug this Dungeons and Dragons movie. Hell yeah. It is super fun. Okay. Not my cup of tea at all. Was not expecting to like it. Was expecting to hate it. Is it an evil movie made by a toy company? Maybe. I dug it anyway, though. I'm enjoying our, our, the uh, the impending doom of our AI overlords. <laughs> fun. Super fun. I heard it was a total jam, and I really want to see total it. Total jam made by people that clearly like the source material. Made by that kid from Freaks and Geeks. Yes. Uh, Linda Cardellini's little brother. That's right. That yeah. guy. Yeah. Absolutely. Good Chris Pine performance. The guy has won the Chris Wars. Chris Wars are a wrap. I have heard. All right. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. That's the closing bell. Did you see Don't 
uh, worry, darling? I did not. Ooh, yet. No, that I might didn't bring his stock back just a hair. Although okay. he's maybe the best thing about that movie for what it's worth. He's wonderful in Dungeons and Dragons. He's really good. Okay, cool. He's super fun. I mean, it is a comedy through and through. Like that's that's the great thing about the movie. They just nailed the tone, but it's actually like legitimately funny. Well, I can say now that he's a. I get why he was cast as uh, Kirk in Star Trek. Mm. So there's that. I see it. Makes sense. Adam has started Star Trek. Mm. And when I say started Star Trek, I mean you have begun your trek into the stars. It does feel that way. It does. I'm not... I'm going away, guys. This is it. It's been nice, but I have to go. I have to search for strange (laughs) new worlds. I have to look for for peace and harmony in the galaxy. Right. Traveling with the, the crew of the USS Enterprise. Sure. You know, right? And when I, I I know that once I get to the next gen movies as a Star Trek fan, I have to hate the Enterprise E. It's right. very important that you don't like the Enterprise E, yeah. but you love the Enterprise D. You're caught up on all the rules. Oh yeah, yeah. You've read the manual a couple times over. Uh, it's yeah. It was it was a it was a tough class. I failed a couple times, but I've been like I was like it's like the bar. Just yeah, so you yeah. know where you're supposed to stand on Patrick Stewart versus Kate Mulgrew. I'm, you you know. I'm there. I'm okay. there. I'm just checking. I'm there. Yeah, he sent me a message. It's like I'm I'm doing Star Trek, and I go, "What do you mean you're doing Star Trek?" <laughs> and you sent me a list of every Star Trek property, and you're like, "I'm watching them all." Yeah, I'm I'm doing it. I'm upset. I'm very upset. Why? I'm, I'm losing it's you. It's gonna be okay. <laughs> I'm losing you. It's gonna I, be okay. I feel you slipping away. It's gonna be it's gonna be just fine. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's like. It's like when your friend gets into golf. Nah. That's what it's like. <laughs> You want to know what it's like? That's what it's like. <laughs> it's, it's that notion of like what? Because I it's it's that it's that type of thing where it's like I I wouldn't I'm not disappointed with you turning down a little bit of Star Trek. That's how I feel about golfers. Like you want to come golfing with me? No, it's like, totally. Oh, right, right, right. I don't care. Right, Fine, right, I'll go right. golfing then. Yeah. Nico, you want to watch Star Trek with me? Yeah, sure. I'll watch the movie. No, I'll watch Wrath of Khan. You no, know? No, no, I'll do that. No, I'll what? play a quick nine. No, a no. deep space nine. Deep space nine, get, get baby. The, the back deep space nine. No, I, I, I'm talking about like chilling out with the Gorn, right? On the, the the episode arena. It is the worst feeling in the world <laughs> when your friend is like, "Yo, I just got a membership to the local country club. I paid my fucking dues." I just got a new bag of clubs. You want to check out my nine iron? No, I don't. No, I don't. Can I see your six wood? No. Can I see your six pack of beer, please? That would be my response to you. It is the worst thing. It's like you might as well just be shipped off to war. You might as well just be in the Middle East because I will never hang out with you again. And that's what I feel now with Star Trek. It's like you know like who you're you don't have time to fucking watch dungeons and dragons who are we kidding here i do it's it's you gotta learn klingon you gotta fucking you know read up on your your uh hooked on phonics i cling on hooked on phonics well, i watched i watched the over 100 movies last year i think i have earned the right to put movies aside for a little bit and just go on a little adventure w- with Spock and McCoy and Kirk and eventually Worf and Data <laughs> and Picard. Adam! <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. May peace be with you. Is that what that? Live long and prosper. That's the phrase. Live long and prosper. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Live long and prosper, Adam. (laughs) The things I could discover, Nico. I'm excited. I'm excited for this journey. Okay. Well, uh, I'm combing my brain for more Star Trek references, and I have officially hit E. All of the files are gone. Yeah, perfect opportunity. Beam me up, Scotty. Does that work somewhere? Can I use that? Nico. What? I'll just help you out right now. Resistance is futile. There, there, There you go. 